Hey guys, this is Robbie Krieger from The Doors, and you're listening to Appetite for Distortion. Do you know where you are? I said For distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando, episode 226, and we have a big show for you today. Uh, coming up a little bit later, we're going to uh, welcome back to the podcast author Greg Renoff, author of Van Halen Rising. He also did the uh, the biography of Van Halen producer Ten Templeman, and we're going to talk about Eddie Van Halen. I, I want to do uh, an Eddie Van Halen, uh, I want to have an Eddie Van Halen uh, conversation and give it justice because I'm, I'm just not as educated about Eddie and Van Halen as, as Greg is. While I'm a fan of Van Halen, like all of you, I want to talk to an expert and kind of pick his brain. And uh, I'm just looking for, and I appreciate Greg's time because obviously he's been so busy. He's been writing articles. He's been doing other interviews, of course, in, in the wake of, uh, of Eddie's passing. So um, I'm, I'm glad and, and very appreciative of his time. So we're going to get uh, Greg Renoff uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But first, we got to welcome in the star of the show. I mean, I... Ooh, I said this and I'll say it again to right now to Robbie Krieger. The doors mean so much to me. Uh, yes, this is a Guns N' Roses podcast. Obviously, Guns N' Roses is my favorite band, but the doors, they're probably number two. Honestly, uh, there's a connection between me and my dad with the doors. Um, I didn't listen. He had some like records, some LPs, but he mainly was like a CD guy. And before I could buy my own CDs, I would take his. And I would take Morrison Hotel. I would take the Saw Parade. I That was my introduction to rock and roll. And, you know, whenever we would listen to, and it's crazy that I work there now, Q104.3 in New York City, whenever a door, door song, I would remember him driving around and him cranking the doors and blasting it. So, uh I guess I don't want to get too too uh, sentimental and, and, and sad, but now I, I wish he was here to, you know, especially to hear this interview uh, right now. But uh, let's not go too deep down that route. We could say that maybe for another time. Uh, without further ado, we got to welcome the the legendary guitarist Robbie Krieger from the Doors, and uh, today he's promoting the 50th anniversary deluxe edition of Morrison Hotel. This thing is loaded. Two CD, uh, one LP set. It expands their their fifth studio album. I can't believe that's their fifth album, and they were still so strong. Uh, over an hour of unreleased session outtakes. Whoa! So you got to hear how they kind of the songs evolved to to, to make the album, the Make Morrison Hotel. So, and there's an unreleased take of uh, Peace Frog and Blue Sunday. So. It's available uh, today. It's available now digitally from uh, from Rhino Records. So, without further ado, Robbie Krieger, welcome to the AFD show. Hello, hello. Hey, Robbie. How are you today? I'm pretty good, man. I gotta say this to say this is an honor. 
is an understatement. I, I, I know you're here. We're talking about the, the 50th anniversary of Morrison Hotel. Came out in 1970. I know you know this, this already. But I'm, uh, I was born in 1983. But I got to tell you, Morrison Hotel, The Doors, was my introduction to rock and roll through my late father. And I still remember him putting on Morrison Hotel, Roadhouse Blues, of course, first track. And he stop and he points out, you know, between you know, between singing, and he says, "Do it, Robbie, do it." And he wants me to like pay attention to that line because he just loves <laughs> the feel of the doors. So just to say, this just means so much. To, uh, so I appreciate your just your time today because, well, I, I guess the first question is, what does it mean? You know, fifty years later, of course, you know, the doors have been around for uh, for longer than that. When someone my age or even younger says how much the doors and, and the music you wrote means to them, does that still? blow you away or are you used to that by now no it still blows me away you know especially when young people um come up to me and, and tell me stuff like that you know like i get you know 10 12 year olds that uh you know i i ask them what oh, what was your parents the doors fan they go no i just you know my friend at school told me about it or, you know so it's still <laughs> it still is working today amazing it really is. And again, it was my dad. It was one of the few bands both my dad and my mom agreed upon because he was rock and roll, Doors and Zeppelin, and she was doo-wop. But The Doors, that's who I grew up with. Wow. It is. I mean, I got to see The Doors of the 21st Century, you know, with Ian Asper. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. Um, so I guess I want Where to... Where was that? That was at Jones Beach, Long Island. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. So, I mean, because you've obviously had a lot of... You, you've worked with so many different artists over the years, you know, collaborating. Um, so I guess one question is, because I was just looking this up, someone sent me a video, uh, Roadhouse Blues that you did with Scott Weiland. So I, I, if you can remember, this was, I think, I believe in uh, 2000. So I'm just curious, do you remember, unfortunately, another lead singer who left us too soon, uh, what it was yeah. like What it was like playing with Scott? Uh, that was great. Um, in fact, it, it was his whole band, uh, was was there and they uh, they played on this uh, it was like a Doors tribute band uh, or maybe you're thinking of the TV show the um, storyteller this was the House of Blues LA that I'm looking at and it, uh, oh it, House of yeah it was okay, with Stone Temple yeah. Pilots it was with the whole band okay gotcha yeah that was amazing I mean he was a big Doors fan and he he uh, he played on a, on a quite a few of our little, you know, like I said, he, he did this TV show storytellers with us. And, um, and I, I, I sat in with those guys at, at a couple of, uh, um, concerts, uh, where was it? Bonnaroo, I think. And, uh, that's a cool guy. You know, and I, and my friend Robert DeLeo is a bass player for Stone Temple Pilots has done a lot of stuff with us too. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that. That, that yeah, I, I mean, obviously, so you get, it's great that when you, you, you love these, I mean, I look at them as bands I grew up with technically, um, but they, they, they're fans of yours. These big rock stars are fans of yours. So what I love on, on this, re, uh, this reissue of Morrison Hotel, we're hearing these uh, cover versions of, of music that you love. So go, going back even further, so can you can you talk to me a little bit about BB uh, King because you guys covered you jammed on Rock Me and he's another one of the, just the greats. I, I did get a chance to see BB thankfully before he passed away. Good, yeah, yeah, he's great. 
Well, you know, Ray Manzarek grew up in Chicago, so he used to go see Muddy and Howlin' Wolf and all those guys, uh, you know, quite often. And uh, one, one time he, he asked uh, to sit in, I think it was with Muddy, but he, did, he uh, didn't get the job. <laughs> At least he asked. Um, and, and then uh, I remember one time we were in Chicago and, and Ray took us all to see uh, Howlin' Wolf. And boy, that was amazing. Wow. Wow. Um, is there, because I, I still, obviously we, we want to focus, we can go so many different ways and I know we're short on, on time. Is there a favorite song that you wrote that's on more, um, uh, Morrison hotel? You know, is it peace frog? Um, is it, you know, like what, what, uh, what's your favorite or does it change? Has it changed throughout over, uh, over the years? Yeah, actually on, on this album, I didn't write any of the words. It's all Jim Morrison's words, but, uh, I wrote a lot of the music. And Peace Prog is probably my favorite uh, one. You know, I, I had the music for that all done, and and I couldn't think of any words. And I asked Jim, you know, to write some words for it, and, and he wasn't coming up with anything. So finally, uh, he looked in his uh, in his book, in his notes that he always kept with him, you know. Uh, a lot of stuff was way early, like he wrote even in high school and mm. stuff. And uh, he found this uh, poem called Abortion Stories. And uh, if you listen to the words, uh, uh, Peace Frog, uh, you can tell it's about an abortion. You have blood in the streets uh, in the town of Chicago and she came. Uh, you know, you wouldn't think when you first heard it that it was about an abortion, but... Uh, but so anyway, we, you know, we obviously couldn't call it abortion stories. I guess we could have, but it would be kind of weird. So he <laughs> came up with somehow peace with nothing to do with the song, you know. <laughs> wow. So I love it. You know, I'm, I'm today years old when I found that out. I had no idea because, you know, as much as I love Jim's voice and lyrics, it's the music right away. It's your music that grabs me from each of, of all these songs, you know, because a lot of times... Just like now, I didn't understand what Jim was writing about or talking about. It. I still loved it, but it was the music that yeah. grabbed me, uh, grabbed me first. Um, another artist, uh, I, I'm curious, like when you play with not just um, like a singer, because I know you've worked with different singers and, and joining people on stage, but other guitarists. I was looking through some photos of you guys jamming on the Doors' 40th anniversary. So when that happens, All right. yeah. So when yeah. that. When that happens, as it accomplishes slashes, does he look at you and, and try to learn from you? Does he pick your brain, or is it vice versa, maybe? Or do you guys just jam out? How does that work? You know, I wish I had more time to hang out with Splash, because um, when we played, what was that? It was in, uh, the only time I really played with him, uh, jammed with him, was uh, it was a thing, in uh, Denver, I think, and uh, it was uh, it was an, uh, an kind of an ode to Janis Joplin. So we were doing all the Janis Joplin songs. Okay. So uh, it, yeah, I couldn't really. Yeah, you know, I was trying to watch what he was doing and stuff. But uh, yeah, one of these days I'm gonna hang out with him and pick his brain. <laughs> okay, that's interesting that you say you want to pick his brain because I would look at him. And, and thinking that he, because he's a, also a student of the instrument, would want to pick yours, considering, you know, you 
you paved the way, uh, kind of, <laughs> for, for a bit. So it's funny, Maybe. you're so humble. Uh, like, do people, like, slash or, you know, they, do they say that you paved the way and you're just like, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just a dude playing guitar still all these years later? I, I think guitar players are, you know, pretty, uh, they won't let you know stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was with uh, the guy from Toto the other day, Steve, uh, Steve Lukather. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was, yeah, and he he was telling me about you know how he used to listen to all my stuff and and get some ideas from it and stuff. That was pretty cool. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I get to speak with you for you know and pick your brain uh, for longer because you've obviously obviously accomplished so much. But you know, obviously the, the Morrison Hotel, you know, the fiftieth anniversary. You know that we're celebrating this iconic album all these years later that has affected people like me who weren't. Uh, alive, uh, unfortunately, to see the doors in their their, their full uh, in their full force, but still obviously have an impact uh, today. So, I Robbie, I can't thank you uh, enough for for your time today, and I hope we get to do this again. All right, man. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, that would be great. So we go from one guitar legend to, and I want to talk about another. Uh, I, I did mention, I believe, on on the episode uh, with Laura Jane Grace, that was the day that the news broke that Eddie Van Halen passed away and it came as kind of a shock, even though he he was ill for a while, but I think the general public and, and rightfully so wasn't sure how I guess bad it was. So it was still a shock overall, but I wanted to to do um, and talk about Eddie w- with justice with somebody who knows a lot more than I do about Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen in general. I mean, I'm a huge fan, but uh, Greg Renoff, um, he's a bigger fan because he's actually written books about Van Halen. <laughs> uh, Greg, cause welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on, taking some time. Hey, appreciate it. Nice to talk. I know last time it was one of the first few episodes that I did in quarantine. So it was the episode 184, and we had a fun talk about the the debut albums of Van Halen versus uh, you know Appetite for Destruction. So that was a a fun conversation there, and we'll try to make this as fun as possible because I know it is. Um, a sad subject, and you've been, I mean, your Twitter feed has been a wealth of information about uh, Eddie, and, and it's just been, it's been something to behold. So if you can kind of just maybe take us through that day for you, I mean, I, I know you, you are, you're an insider, but I, you're not like obviously a Van Halen family insider. So were you caught off guard by the news that Eddie had passed? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, uh, I would say people have been whispering things about his health over the last year or so. And, you know, the Van Halen family is a very tight knit group. Uh, and, you know, the information that would get out would be what I would say is kind of unreliable. I mean, you just never knew. I mean, I think we was kind of a general understanding that Ed was not a hundred percent. Um, last year, there were a lot of stories that people probably remember that they were going to tour. Dave Roth had talked about, uh, the, you know, at the beginning of 2019, he was talking about, or the end of 2018, they're going to go on the road and they're going to do stadiums with Foo Fighters and Yankee Stadium, and people were excited. And um, that didn't happen. And I think, you know, my my view from afar was that that probably something had gone wrong with somebody with the health in the band, and the odds were it was probably Eddie because it seemed like that was going to be the final the final um, the final lap for those guys, basically, that really was going to be the final victory lap for those guys. And it didn't happen. And so, uh, when the, when the news did break that day, actually, I just happened to be 
at my computer and saw it, you know, and, and it was just, it was just one of these surreal moments where you look at something and you can't quite believe the words. It, said, it, it was the TMZ tweet that said Eddie Van Halen has passed away. That kind of popped up on my feed when I first opened my phone. And then I went to Wolfie's page and he had put out the information five minutes earlier or something. And mm. it was, um, you know, but for me, pretty much my entire musical, I mean, like 95, 98%, 99% of my musical existence as a, like a rock fan has been, um, you know, Van Halen's been part of that. You know, I, you know, got started a few years earlier than that, maybe listening to records or whatever. But sort of once I got to Van Halen, it was all all Van Halen for me as a one of my always one of my top bands. And it's uh, kind of hard to imagine a world without Eddie Van Halen, and that's the thing that's been been uh, difficult. So I think, yeah, for me, you know, I lie like anybody else. I think was shocked when the news came, even though sort of had this this feeling that Ed's health wasn't a hundred percent, that he was not, you know, that he wasn't. Um, able to tour basically that was sort of what you, you gathered from 2019 and then their, their relative in, inactivity in 2020 obviously with nothing was going on so it was uh yeah it was hard to hear the news oh yeah um I, of course and I, I thought the rumor was um I, I guess i missed that i thought the rumor was actually going to be gnr and van, van halen maybe that was just wishful thinking in my part maybe it was a dream that i had but foo fighters and van halen would have been amazing and i gotta say i'm I know you've seen them. How many times have you seen them? You don't have to go through the, you know, each show if you, because I don't know if you can. Oh, can probably count. about 10 times. There are okay. people who've seen them like way, way more than I have. It's amazing. You talk to people who've seen them 40, 50, 60 times, but yeah, so I'm about 10 times. Okay. Well, I'm lucky I got to see them once. And this is one of the Madison yeah. Square Garden shows. And I just, sure. because I, I had seen David Lee Roth before. Uh, it was like, an, it's changed so many different uh, names. Uh, this small little venue with like a circular stage on long island and that's when he had the right. the long hair with extensions and <laughs> it was yeah it was but it was still diamond dave it was great and, and same thing when it with van halen uh when they reunited it was still great but i just remember being beside myself watching eddie and that's not something yeah. I, I normally do i'm a I kind of like a front man kind of guy but i just I'm like i can't believe this is what i'm witnessing right now this is eddie van halen and no which is why it's it's we got to see these bands whenever we can and you know, that's why I'm so blessed. You know, Robbie Krieger is 74 and he's still, you know, he, he's still out there. He plays when he can. Uh, and Eddie, you know, 65 is, is, is too young. Um, the, for the first yeah. thing that I, I thought of, and I'm glad, uh, maybe you could shed some insight on it was how long that Sammy Hagar tried to reconcile that relationship. And it kind of, that broke my heart in addition to just, no, yeah, the loss of the rock world, but the the, the family and just a, on a human level. But then we, we find out, it may have been through Howard Stern that we found out um, that they did reconcile through texting. So did you know anything about that until the news broke or before the news broke rather that they reconciled? Did you hear any buzz about Michael Anthony? Well, well? I'll tell you, yeah, I, I actually did. I actually had heard something about that there had been a basically a breaking of the ice. And again, it's one of these things where I'm not, you know, I'm removed enough from the situation where I hear it. And I just sort of, you have to take it face value for what it is and just sort of move on. But I, um, you know, I, I wasn't totally surprised that that may have happened because I'll tell you why, because um, Eddie and Ted Templeman sat down in the fall of uh, last year and had a, basically a, just a visit, like a social visit, catching up. They'd texted and, had emails and whatnot over the years, but kind of, they hadn't really been face to face in quite a while. So, um, you know, it seemed like Eddie was kind of reaching out to old friends and just sort of, you know, that's what I kind of gathered from that, that it was, 
that Eddie seemed very interested and wanted to get together with Ted just to sort of, you know, it's, you know basically Eddie's, and when he was talking to Ted was, it's been so long that we have to get together. When do you want to get together? He was, you know, he was up and ready to do that. And so, you know, when I heard that that, that supposedly was happening, that there had some, been some sort of breaching of that, that barrier where Sammy and Ed had been, whatever, that didn't sort of a, whatever reconciliation there had been. Um, it seemed plausible to me, just maybe that, you know, that maybe Ed had kind of realized his time was running short and mm. wanted to sort of have those moments with people that, you know, even if there's been, tension in the past, whatever it is, that he wanted to sort of have that that, uh, that closure. Um, and so that was what I, I'd heard. And I, of course, I didn't know it was actually true until I um, saw that Sammy came out and, you know, and said that, yes, he had, had been texting with Ed. And, you know, I, in all uh, seriousness, the uh, thing for me is that I think it was a, a super important thing for Sammy. And I'm sure on some level it was important for Ed, too. I mean, especially because Sammy has been public about it and people have tested his motivation or questioned his motivations about why he would be so public about his interest in reconciling. But, you know, I, I take it for what it's worth on some level, which is if you work so long with a person, you know, even if there's been intense personal differences, it's, you know, it's sort of like American with those guys on the road and working and then having that tremendous success they did writing songs. I mean, it's, you know, it's a very close relationship when you're writing songs like that in a, in a band like that, where you're, you know, basically two guys kicking around ideas and thinking about different riffs and how melodies go. And, you know, there's that platinum records and the billboard awards and all the other stuff that goes on. It's a different, you know, it's a different level of, of, uh, intimacy is than friend, just friend, just friends, you know? And so I can imagine that that would be something that, uh, for Sammy was important, even though, as we all know, there's been some obvious things that have, have, uh, caused problems between their relationship. I think those are fairly public. And so I was, you know, I, I, as I said, I heard that back in, um, March or something, I'd heard kind of a whisper about that. And I was just, you know, not knowing whether it was true or not. And just um, was when that news broke that Sammy said he did that, I was, you know, I was glad because I think that would have been, you know, diff- difficult for, for Sammy to have thought that he, you know, it never happened. And just to kind of, you know, close the door and know that you could just sort of say, hey, man, you know, whatever differences we had, it was a good run. And, you know, I'm, you know, it was good to be your friend, that type of thing. Yeah, to get closure. I mean, that's such a human thing. And that as much as we as fans, you know, we, we want to know these things. Uh, we want to know that, that Sammy and Eddie are talking again and, you know, the fun of just rumor uh, reunion talks. But it's kind of how I thought of also, obviously, given my, uh, you know, kind of what I do, I think about Axel and Slash. And sure. while they haven't done any press together, there's also a part of me that, where, that thinks it's none of our business. As long as they're they're cool, you know, as long as whatever... Uh, you know, uh, pain maybe they had, uh, that they were kind of suffering that this person they had a, such a long relationship with is, is over. Right. Um, I right. know some people will second guess that, you know, money cures all, but I, I don't think that's the sure. case. I, it's, I, I really don't. I think when you're at that level and when you're at Eddie's level, Sammy's level, Axel and slash you, you know, you, you don't need to do that. You know, you could be successful and they all proved to be successful on, on different projects without each right. other. Um, right. So it just made me feel right. great. And of course, like, I just can't help but just think of like other, other bands. And, and, but it's, it's just, I think it's, it's just really nice. I think it's, I think it's closure for the fans to know after the fact to, to deal with the pain and, and the loss of Eddie. So if you could, well, I mean, in speaking yeah. of what you just said about Robbie Krieger, you know, I think, I think about a pretty big Doors fan as a younger person. I remember reading interviews in Cream Magazine with Manzarek and these other, the other guys in the Doors about whether the, the, the sense of, 
you know, Denzel Moore being angry and, or, or man, Derek just being sad. He never got a chance to say goodbye that, you know, yeah. just, I never really got a chance to say goodbye to my friend. Hey, I'm going to Paris. Okay, man, have a good time. I'll see you when you get back. And it never, you know, you never had a chance to say mm-hmm. goodbye. And, you know, I presume Eddie and, and um, Sammy may not had that chance to say goodbye, but they, you know, at least it was on good, ter- you know, on good terms. And it was sort of a, a sense that, okay, I, I presume that Sammy had an idea that Ed's health wasn't hundred percent and was able to kind of, you know, get his head right about that type of, you know, those types of, interactions with the person when you know that hey you never know what tomorrow brings this person is in, in the perfect health I, you know so that's i think that's that's nice for um for fans to know and i think for uh sammy it's got to be a, a a healing thing for you know because it would have been i imagine it would have been rough you would have just felt really like there was a lot of missed opportunities and maybe i could have done more as a person to make you know to maybe to reach out or maybe to try to make amends to somebody who obviously felt um wrong that somebody meeting eddie by sammy whatever the, the truth may be but that's you know pretty think pretty much the, the basis there was something there that was definitely between them um business personal whatever it was it didn't make uh, communication easy yeah no those are, that's a great point of course you know keeping on topic with the doors because you don't have a chance to say goodbye i mean again that that's life and what they seem to have had was the closest thing to it and uh it just makes me feel good um it, it's a silver lining to come out of this uh this terrible thing uh, another i, I want to ask you this and you know, Eddie Trunk tweeted about it, and it was interesting to read the thread. When, you know, someone like Eddie Van Halen passes away, or when Geddy Lee passed, excuse me, Geddy Lee, when uh, Neil Peart uh, passed away, you know, the, the sales of Rush goes up, the sales of, or the streaming of sure. Van Halen goes up. You know, right. how do you look at that? You know, the same thing with Christian. Do you look at that as like, because I never looked at it as like, oh, it's a poser thing for people to go back. Like, shouldn't you own all these records? I, I look at it right. just like young fans either discovering them for the first time, or maybe if it's like me, it's like you just got to get it out of your system. Like, it's kind of how you grieve is just listen to all their music, right. you know? So how do you right. look at it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a combination of both. I think there's obviously the, the, the you know, anyone from a casual fan to like, you know, the the woman who drove around with 5150 in her car and, you know, maybe moved on from Van Halen after that, never really had an album. And, you know, maybe she's 60 now and then she's, you know, going to revisit that record again because it brings back some memories for her because Eddie's passed away. And then there's people who don't know. And I think the thing that I would say is that the global outpouring of affection and tribute was really incredible. Uh, a friend of mine said to me that, you know, for him, it was a super depressing moment because he was like, it felt like Prince again. And his three, basically his three favorite musical things when he grew up, grew up on Long Island, he was saying it was Prince, it was Michael Jackson, and it was Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I feel like my childhood is now completely gone, you know, that part of it. And so, you know, part of it is just, I think it became such a, a media um, event. And I don't mean like a spectacle, like, you know, something there's these tragedies where people die in car crashes or something, and it's this big spectacle. I just mean more like just that everywhere you looked, there were people from all around the world, from super famous people to just regular fans tweeting and, and posting and talking about the effect of Van Halen. I mean, you know, Chris Rock is a huge Van Halen fan. I mean, there's like, you know, you search in like, there are like Asian politicians, the politicians in Japan are paying tribute to, to Van Halen. It's just a, it was kind of an international band more than I think people even knew. And just the music was so, so, so great. I mean, that's the thing too. You realize the songs really have sustained and are just, part of the DNA of people's musical lives. And so for me, that's part of it too. It just was so, so present everywhere. I think a lot of people, maybe like you said, young people who were just like, Oh, my dad's talked about Phantom, but I never listened to them. I'm going to listen to the first, you know, listen to the first three songs on Spotify. And no, oh, I like jump. Oh, I like this song. This is cool. 
you know? And so I think for that standpoint, it's, it's nice. And the other, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we're in this era where an album comes out from Bruce Springsteen and it hardly makes a, a note in uh, a publicity, not because it may not be good, but it's just because there's so much stuff being pushed at you all the time, you know? And so to be able to have that, unfortunately by Eddie's death, it sort of overwhelms everything. And it's sort of like, you know, it sort of transcends, it becomes quote unquote less for lack of sort of like trending, you know, it's like trending news at the top. It's, you know, it's, um, it's a special thing because I think it shows how popular Van Halen was, you know, if that makes sense. It's like, there are plenty of people who I have musical respect for who have passed away in the last 10 years, but it obviously never reached anywhere near the level of adulation and just sort of outpouring of sadness and passion and people talking about it. So from, you know, for me, I think it's cool that there's that much, you know, attention for what I think is, is great music for a number of reasons. And, uh, you know, anytime anyone listens to a Van Halen song for the first time, I think, okay, that's cool. You know, maybe it's not for you, but maybe you're just going to be like, wow, this is, this is amazing. As a kid, I, I, you know, my uncle turned me onto the doors. My uncle turned me onto, he gave me between the buttons by the Rolling Stones when I was pretty young, like eight or nine and didn't make me like the biggest Rolling Stones fan in the world, but it was definitely a good introduction to be like, oh, this is different than what's on, what's on the radio you know, in the late seventies or so. It was just, it was cool. You know, like there's something else out there. And so for me, I hope that's what's going to go on. There's so many kids who are going to kind of have that start for them. Like I still like the stones today. You know, I still like the doors today because of that introduction when I was very, very young to those bands before I even knew about Van Halen. Especially in pop culture. That's something that, you know, I've always noticed, but never really, never really sunk in about the Van Halen references in pop culture, whether it's, you know, Bill and Ted. Uh, I think it was a newer Family Guy episode where uh, I don't, did you see that where Peter was supposed to uh, read the book 1984? But right, yeah. you you see that one? But he instead I, I, I did the clip on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, he, oh it's such a, it's so funny. It was like his first time. But the the librarian gave him the CD of 1984, and he just, <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole episode dedicated to Van Halen. And yeah, was, I mean oh, it's amazing. like everything from like like. Super bad to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, you could go on like you know everybody you know uh, Better Off Dead. I mean, there's South so Park. many. You see the South Park South one Park. when it, it brought the Middle East together. Van Halen, yeah, right, brought, brought the, the Mid- Middle East together, I mean, right? Whoa, yeah. whoa. I mean, it's that's what it, it just sometimes you sit back and and I think that goes into all the streaming. It's like okay, you got there's so much to appreciate, and you know, obviously we, we wish there was even more, especially since he's gone. Um, but it's. It's just uh, it's something else, and I, I wish I got to see him in his in his prime. I'm just glad, again glad I got to see him um, at least once. I, I will ask you because uh, I know you have, as we're all working from home, you have uh, children running around. Uh, what do you have a favorite Eddie moment, whether it's personal or just you know just Eddie in general? Something that really you know stands out to you, whether it's an interview, whether it's a performance. You know, what, right? Like, maybe what what comes you know, out? What, what comes to mind? If you had asked me that a month ago, I would have said something different. But I'll tell you what's been really. And I watched this one. You know, what came out was a Smithsonian interview with Ed that happened in 2015, where he went to the Smithsonian in Washington and was interviewed about his upbringing and about his immigrant story and about his guitars and took questions from the audience. You know, and watching that, you know, I was just, I was so glad that that happened and I don't know exactly who organized that um, to make that happen I might um, you know I think it was top most likely it was his wife Jamie who was the one who sort of encouraged those types of things I don't know that for sure but I suspect that's who it was and I'm so glad that that happened because it put Ed on a stage where his 
story could be told outside of a quote unquote rock context. I mean, there are plenty of rock kids fans there, kids who grew up on, on Van Halen music were there who were adults, plenty of people there. But for him to talk about how his family came to America and, uh, you know, faced the struggles they faced, whether it would be him being picked on as a kid because he was different and speak English or just their, how they worked and, you know, him talking about how he missed his father so much. And, you know, someone asked him a question about who would you wish you could jam with in heaven? And he basically said, I wish I could jam with my father again. And, you know, it made him, it put him on the proper platform as someone who was more than just a guitar player. Cause he really, he really was, as we were talking about these pop culture references, you know, the band is iconic and that, that that's overused. And I can think of maybe like 10 or 12 bands that are still like going or were going in the last five years that deserve that, that title of iconic. They really were something that was beyond just, Oh, a cool band with songs. They represented, um, you know, a great musical achievement by guitar player and, you know, one of the great front men in history. And of course, the songs, I mean, that's the thing. Just they represented something about the eighties and something about rock music and virtuosity and all these things that, uh, you know, I think, and that platform we're talking about as personal achievements and his own, uh, way he made his, you know, basically how he made his way to that point in time from, from this kid who came to America, didn't speak English. I'm really, that's my favorite moment to watch now because it just, it's really kind of puts the, puts him in the right, the right framework for people to think about, you know, it was more than just a guy who picked up a guitar and could play fast. You know what I mean? There was a lot more to that story and a lot more talent there than 99.9999% of people who ever picked up a guitar. I mean, they're just, that's the truth. And, uh, it was really a wonderful thing and I'm really glad it's going to be preserved forever because that's, that's what I'd like, you know, people to remember the Eddie Van Halen, not as the guy who partied or, you know, did that, but just as the guy who really overcame a lot and stuck with it and had family um, bonds that were really tight with his brother. And they, you know, they played together. In fact, I was talking about this on Twitter. Um, it's pretty, I'm pretty sure that Alex never played live outside of the context of Van Halen. He may have played with Sammy on guitar or whatever, like other guitarists, like Dave picked up a guitar, but never played live as far as I know ever from 1978 to today outside the context of Van Halen in mm-hmm. a concert setting without his brother. So I mean, to think about that type of commitment to like a, a unit, um, it's really, it's a pretty moving story. It is. And uh, I, I know the clip here or the certain part of that interview that you were talking about because uh, Wolf uh, shared it online. Yep. Where, you Just know, shared that, it. Yep. So that was cool. So I, I got to say, other than of course, following and it's been really nice because I know it's what it's like as, you know, as a son losing a, a father, you know, to share that stuff on, I mean, I don't, I have uncomfortable sharing about it sometimes on a podcast and I'm a nobody, but to him to be on where the world's watching and him to share these intimate photos has just been, um, where I think his fans are are grateful that he's doing that. So, uh, in addition to, yeah, follow Wolf on Twitter, but uh, follow, uh, Greg Renoff on Twitter. I mean, it's really been an education, you know, even before all this, of course, uh, about Van Halen. It's been really cool to see all these people reaching out to you and you retweeting them and sharing stories. And, you know, it's, it's been really a Van Halen one-on-one from you. Uh, so if you don't have either of uh, Professor Greg Renoff's uh, books, Van Halen Rising, or uh, he just did uh, the, autobi- or the biography of uh, Ted Templeman, that was what we were talking about last time uh, when you were on the show. Yep. Uh, get him now. Uh, but in the meantime, it's like you're writing a book almost every day on Twitter. So just... Thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I wish it was, it was easy to send two tweets and you're done with your book. I wish. <laughs> I know, but I'm telling you, it's, uh, I, I just enjoy it. There's like, sometimes there, I got I won't call it any names, but sometimes there are people who tweet too much and I'm like, I got to mute you. I like you, but I can't deal with it. 
You, I love it. <laughs> I, I really do. Okay, I, well, it's good to know. I appreciate it. So appreciate uh, it very much. You got it. And I appreciate your your time, Greg, today. And uh, hopefully next time we'll we'll talk about uh, you know uh, we'll meet we'll convene on a on a happier note next time. Absolutely. Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Appreciate it very much. It was a great conversation. You got it. Thanks so much, Greg. No problem. Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Indeed. I kind of had to get that out of my system too, because you know, I, I, I Van Halen, I, I love the band. Um, not as much to, uh, to do a podcast. I'm not as knowledgeable to do a podcast about Eddie Van Halen. So I wanted to, to talk to an expert. So thank you, Greg, for, for coming on and, you know, it's it's what I tweeted. Some of you were responded to it uh, before I knew that Eddie had um, reconnected, reconciled with with Sammy Hagar. I, I couldn't help but think of Izzy Stradlin and and Stephen Adler. And yeah, Stephen he he rejoined. He he was part of Not in This Lifetime a couple shows, but he seemed. And I don't think this is why he's not doing interviews right now. I, I think he seemed a, a little bothered feeling that he could do more. He was of course happy to have those moments again. Um, if I could speak for Steven, but these are things that he said, uh, but he wanted to do more. He was kind of upset that he flew, what was it to Argentina to do a song or two. So you wonder what the friendship is like, you know, with I'm sure. Yeah. He's still friends with, with slash, but you know, what is it with, with Axel? I mean, he, that's a brotherhood forever. Appetite for Destruction is a brotherhood forever with those five guys. What is it like now with Izzy, Izzy Stradlin? It, if through Alan Niven, we found out on this podcast that he was going to be a part of it. You know, for what the actual role was going to be, we weren't sure. But he, he showed up whether it be... Um, I guess Alan wasn't uh, too sure of these details or if they've been kind of debunked since, whether it was a sound check or he just showed up. Uh, something bothered him and he left. Um, and, and then Izzy tweeted that something about the money, that he didn't get the uh, you know fair share. It wasn't an equal split uh, with the loot, I believe was kind of a, a good, that's a good paraphrase of what he said. So does th- did that affect his relationship with Axl Rose? Because they were, they remain friends. So you, you just don't know. Because you want these guys, yeah, to, to reunite. We want our favorite band, the, the the Appetite Five, to to reunite. And it's no slight at all. I've said this multiple times to uh, to Richard Fortas, to, uh, to to Frank, to to Melissa, um, even to, to even Dizzy would be a part of it. But I mean, just like the Appetite Five, you know, those guys who totally conquered the world with what is arguably the greatest rock and roll album ever made, not just debut, but ever made. And you just want them at a, at a human level to all be cool with each other. It's unless, you know, uh, one of them, like if, if Axel ran over Izzy's dog or something like ridiculous like that, obviously that I'm just making up some like absurd circumstance that I would be like, okay, yeah, you guys shouldn't be friends. It's all better off left in the past. But if, you know, if, especially while you know people are losing their lives or they're getting to that age. Yes, Eddie passed away of cancer, but we see that a lot. I mean, you know, people getting cancer of sixty. Uh, you know, David Bowie seventy. Um, they're they're getting up there. No one's hit sixty yet in the GNR world, and so you'd, I'm not trying to put them in the grave yet. But while they're all still here on this earth, can we make it happen once? 
not, again, not just for a show. It doesn't have to be. If they did what just Eddie uh, Van Halen and Sammy did, just behind the scenes, like we're, we're cool, we reconciled, you know, maybe we just can't work out the business side of it, but on, on a human level, on a friend level, we're, we're, we're cool. I, I think that's also really important to fans, aside from the music, aside from the concerts, um, especially with Guns N' Roses fans. We care about them as people. So how are they doing as people? And even when I was looking at, because uh, I've been sharing a bunch of, uh, of photos of Eddie Van Halen uh, on, on Instagram, and I'm looking at the, the reunion photos where you know, Eddie is, is kissing David Lee Roth right on the cheek. Can you imagine if Axel and Slash did something like that? So it, it just also, I guess it leaves room to, to wonder, you know, what is it like for them as human beings? And then the double, you know, the other side of the coin, is it, do we deserve to know? It, it's, it's not our business, I guess. You know, we, we're the, in the business of listening to the music, going to the concert. So it's, these are conversations that uh, continue on social media and that we continue to have. And I really um, admire all your responses uh, about these um, questions that I pose. So uh, as we wrap up this episode, the conversation continues on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show, Twitter at the AFD show, uh, Instagram, as I mentioned, appetite for distortion, YouTube, uh, just look up appetite for distortion on, on YouTube, putting a bunch of um, all the interviews uh, up there, at least like all the zoom ones, the first 65 were up there for a while with the help of uh, Raz Q. And then it just became, I just couldn't keep up with it. But now I, at a very primitive level, have learned how to, to edit video or at least slap on some photos uh, and put the audio with it. So uh, I've been putting all the new episodes on, on YouTube. And, and let me just thank, uh, before I, I, I forget, uh, this is from uh, Iowa's Life. Uh, I think it was G from uh, from Ireland. He was the, the one that we had a conversation about, the, the Izzy Stradlin documentary uh, that he made by himself. And how hard is it to to make a, an Izzy Stradlin documentary, a uh, Gunter Rose's documentary with the, the lack of information that's out there. So it, it is out there now. You just have to go to uh, uh, Iwis Life uh, on Twitter and then you'll see all his links, uh, A-Y-E-W-I-S Life. And uh, the reason I bring him up is that he made me new logos if you've noticed, and actually you have, because I've gotten so many compliments and I didn't even ask for them. So he's made me brand new Appetite for Distortion logos. And he also made me, and I guess shared, um, I shared it using a clip from the, uh, the interview I did with Stone Gossard. Like it's like a spinning record with the new logo. So it's kind of like an animated way to look at and to listen to, uh, to an interview. So uh, I just got to thank him for all of that. And also, you may have seen when I, I, I announced Robbie Krieger was coming on the show, he made this Jack Daniels-looking thing, you know, with, with, with announcing my guest. So he, he did that all out of just the kindness of, of his heart. So just thank you. And I'm going to use, and um, I suggest wait. Let me just say that. Because uh, I did post it. I took it down. T-shirts. Yes, T-shirts. I talked about, oh my God, how long has it been when I since mentioned T-shirts? Could be like a year ago. I'm making them. I am making them, okay? So it's, um, wait for the, the big announcement. I think I, I, what I should have done is let me wait until I get mine and let me inspect it first 
And then let me just start announcing it because I kind of got paranoid. I'm like, what if they're shitty? They shouldn't be. So, uh, but t-shirts are coming. Stickers are coming. So that, that's, uh, that's going to be really fun because many of you have been asking for those for years. And finally, I got off my ass and, well, you know what? I think finally I felt good about it because this, the new logo uh, made for me by uh, iOS Life is just uh, phenomenal. So just thank you for that. And thank you again all for listening to another edition of Appetite for Distortion. Who is the next guest? When will you hear the next episode? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Security, I'm going home.